Well, good morning again. Happy Father's Day, I should say. Uh, everyone in the room has a father. Not everyone has kids yet, but, uh, but we all understand the process. If you haven't called your father, and you can call your father, then don't forget to do that sometime today. Um, I, this is the time of the year when we share Father's Day with an important day that I get to say because I'm speaking to you now, but today's my wife Jody's birthday. So we have both Father's Day and Jody's birthday. Happy birthday, Jody. As I said earlier, uh, Pastor Luke is uh, on vacation now, headed towards General Assembly. And so uh, I am David Thies. I'm one of the elders here. And I have the privilege of coming and talking to you today, providing our sermon. And so since we're going to have a break from Pastor Luke's uh, series on Leviticus, I, I didn't take that challenge to uh, jump in. He did Leviticus 18 last week. Today would have been 19 and or 20, which essentially bring the same points out. And I thought maybe it would be good if we talked about fruit uh, in John 15 and not go to Leviticus today. So that's what we're going to be doing. I also thought it would be good to talk about the text of uh, John 15, which I'll read in just a moment, because it's June and the crops are up. Uh, not full grown, but if you live around here or have lived around here for very long, you know that that moment when the crop emerges from the field, the farmer takes a little bit of an opportunity for relaxation. Now, there's a lot that goes on that we who aren't farmers don't totally understand, I know, throughout the summer. But knowing that the crop has emerged is a good thing, because uh, after that, we're just uh, taking care of it as it's growing. So, the passage that uh, John brings us in John 15 that talks about bearing fruit is a good thing for us to talk about. Um, we heard about fruit in the passages that Emily read to us, a different, a different uh, part of the Bible, but nonetheless a message that talks about God's desire that we bear fruit for him. I think probably uh, because fruit was something that they understood at the time the text was written, uh, that's the illustration that he gives to us. We might talk about corn and soybeans, but some of the points are, are the same. Uh, let me read uh, the 15th chapter of John. Actually, I'm going to limit myself to verses 1 through 17. But before we do that, would you bow with me and let me pray for our time of going to God's word. Let's pray. Gracious God, would you now guide us? Would you illumine the text? Would you show us where we can apply it to our lives? May my words be yours, grounded in your teachings. Father, show us where we are not bearing the fruit you desire from us. Motivate us through this text to be the people that you've called us to be and to have joy as we do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it, may, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Those were the words of Jesus. Is the fruit that you are producing all that you want it to be? Is it all that God wants it to be? Now, as I said a moment ago, the word fruit may have made more sense to the people in the day those words were written. You could use corn or soybeans, or maybe even in a broader sense, you could come up with whatever it is, is the way you define what it is you are trying to do in your life. Are you happy with what is happening because you are in the world? Is God happy? Now, I I chose the word happy there carefully, and I think it's appropriate with this text. If you look back to the 11th verse of chapter 15, you'll see Jesus' objective, he says, in telling us these things, in preparing us to bear fruit. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, his words about bearing fruit, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So we're here to talk about fruit, but I I suggest that what we're really here to talk about is Jesus's objective that we enjoy him and that we enjoy the work he has called us to. Not because we're earning our way to him, but because in his work, in being who he wants us to be, he's telling us we can find joy, we can be happy. And not just happy, but a full kind of happy, an all-the-time kind of happy, no matter what we are going through in our life. Why is that important, do you think? I answer it personally. You can answer it for yourself. But I know that in my humanity, I do not always feel the joy that Jesus talks about here. I think I'm godly, I'm trying to be godly, I know I fall short, 
But even in those moments where I feel totally consistent with God's will, doing the things he's called me to do, I don't always find great joy. Life is a struggle. There are ups and downs. There are relationship issues. There are disappointments. There are failures. There are doors that close when we wish that they would open. And when those things happen, even as we can so clearly see God at work in our life, it's not fun. It's not always a time for happiness. And yet, in our text, he says, bear fruit, do these things, be who I want you to be, and in that process, find great and full joy. And so we run the race, we endure the ups and the downs. We try to be what God has called us to be, but joy, happiness all the time, and immense, bigger than life type happiness, which is the way I read the text, that's, that's more kind of an afterthought in my mind. I, yeah, I, I expect that, and when it comes, I enjoy it, but all the time, no. I don't experience that until I come to a text like this and I wonder, what is Jesus up to? Well, the passage, as I said, teaches us that we can have great joy even in the midst of whatever difficulty or depression or down as opposed to up we're facing. We can be joyful, Jesus says, if we grow in our understanding of God our Father and our Savior Jesus Christ and so we reach this text, a text that is often taught as a way of motivating us to produce fruit. And we're going to talk about that. That is what it's about. But ultimately, this text is about producing joy during times when joy doesn't seem so logical in a human sense. I've divided the fruit-bearing part of the text into three points, three sections. You'll find them on the back of your bulletin. The difference between the vine and the branches, that's the first thing. Secondly, the difference between a fruitful and a barren branch, that's clearly talked about here. And finally, in the third point, how to be a fruitful branch. And I, I wanna suggest that if we address those and feel comfortable with those, those questions, the answers to those questions that Jesus gives, we will find joy, we will find happiness. I want to acknowledge a pastor who I heard speak a couple weeks ago. The PCA, our denomination, has many churches in the Chicago area. One of them is a Hispanic church, pastored by Pastor Al Guerra. And when Jody and I were up in the Chicago area a couple weeks ago attending church with our kids, not at the church that Pastor Guerra pastors, but he had come as a visiting preacher at, uh, at the church that our kids go to. And so I heard him speak. And, he chose this text, and some of, I know that some of the points I'm going to make, which were profound for me, I know that I'll be repeating them, so I want to acknowledge him and say thank you to him for having spoken to me a couple of weeks ago, as I hope it set the stage for some things that I'd like to pass on to you today. So thank you, Pastor Al. Since the objective is joy, and I, I think that's a good context in which to look at this text, since our objective is joy, or in fact Jesus' objective is that we have joy, I started in thinking about this text by asking myself why it is that I'm often not happy or joyful even as I try to live the life that I think God has called me to lead. I've come up with four reasons 
why I am not always as happy as I think this text suggests that I could be. Maybe you could answer these questions. Maybe you would find some of these in common. Four things that I found that explain why even as I am doing what God has called me to do, I'm not happy. Number one, I think that I am the vine, not the branch. Number two, when the branch that is me is being pruned, I feel like I've failed or done something wrong. Number three, when I define success, I'm living in the world that is my hopes and my desires. And finally, and maybe the place I ought to start, although I believe that God has made things right with me, I know that to be true, because of what Jesus did on the cross, I often live as if I am not forgiven. I live as an unsaved person, because that's my human nature. Let me suggest those four reasons for my, I'll call it, unhappiness as a context within which we will try to address this text. Remember my first point. Sometimes I'm not happy because I think that I'm the vine and not the branch. What does that mean? Well, this is perhaps the simplest. It's certainly the clearest stated. Jesus says in two places in the 15th chapter what the reality is within the, uh, within the understanding he's trying to give us in this story. He says in the first verse, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I, in this case, is Jesus. Jesus is the vine. I'm not the vine. He also says in the fifth verse, I am the vine, you are the branches. So we have this three-way interaction, this dynamic that involves God as the gardener, the farmer, the vine dresser, Jesus who is the vine, the larger part of what's coming out from the ground, and then me, or you, the branch, what is shooting off from the vine. And yet, when I realize that I'm unhappy even as I try to do God's work, if I stop to think about it, I sometimes get that mixed up, thinking that I'm the vine. So what is the difference between the vine and the branch? In the story, as I said, Jesus is the vine, God the gardener, and I'm the branch. The problem is that if I'm the vine, I start to look at everything that happens in the world as starting with me. It's really all about me. Because that's who the vine is. The vine is always going to be there. It's the branches that shoot off and accomplish the various things that branches do. Not the vine. The vine is always there. The vine is the, when using the proper perspective, the vine is what it's all about. Because other branches will shoot off. We don't want the vine to go away. Now, this is a, an interesting illustration as we're celebrating in our country and some in our families here, everybody from one point of view or another, we're celebrating Father's Day. And I'm a father. And I'm more than a father. I'm a husband. I'm a owner of a business. I am a person in the community in different types of organizations. I've been a leader. I find it very easy to adopt the perspective that what's really going on in this world is all about me. I'm the vine. I'm the beginning and the end. If we fail, it's because I didn't do something right. I have a hard time getting out of the way and defining 
God as being divine or Jesus as being divine, God's plan being the important thing. So as I say congratulations to the fathers and as I encourage you to, if you can, go back and give your father a call today, it's in the, same, it's in the second breath of that that I say to the fathers, I say to myself, let's not think that we're divine. Let's not think that it's all about ourselves. Think about the dangers of that, particularly when we get into the other issues of being happy as you bear fruit. Because you see, if, if I'm the vine, if it's all about me, if I'm the beginning and the end, and we know that things don't always go the way I would like them to go. And so putting it into this text, if we fail, if we don't do what I think is important to do, is God somehow failing because of that? No, but when I define success that way, when I look at myself as being the beginning and the end, the reason why we're doing things, that's when I get so disappointed and sad when it doesn't go my way. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to see his will, his plan as being the key. Therefore, when some of the other things that Jesus predicts happen, the pruning of the branch, for example, when things happen, when doors close to me, when I can't achieve what I thought I was going to achieve, when I don't go as far, when a relationship sours on me, when any of the things that cause disappointment in life, if they're understood in the context of God's perfect plan, it's still possible to find joy. My second problem, why am I unhappy sometimes, even when I think I'm doing God's will? Well, I alluded to it a minute ago, but I want to now more specifically talk about what it's like when I feel that I, as a branch, one of God's chosen, am being pruned, because that's what the text says. Every branch of mine, this is verse 2, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more. So we have to deal with a couple of issues there. The first thing is if we, tr if we totally have a, a branch that is not bearing fruit, it goes away. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, although uh, there's a difficult theological question there as we talk about someone being on the vine and then torn off and thrown into the fire. That's not suggesting, I do not believe, the opportunity to at one point be saved and then lose your salvation. That's the eternal security question that this, te this text reads or brings us to. I'm not dealing with that today. I just want to call it to your attention. I, I want to talk, though, about what it's, what it's like when you are a branch and you feel yourself being pruned. What does that mean? It means that um, you're involved in 12 different things. And God finds a way of saying to you, that's too much. Let's close this door. Let's move you over here. You, someone says no to you when you're used to being told yes. Something in your life doesn't work out as you would like it to be. The fact that you can't go that way might be because God is telling you, I'm pruning you there. I'm preparing you for something else. And the, the difficulty is it's not always easy to know what God's preparing you for. Jesus says the reason for the pruning is that I may bear more fruit. Not that I need to be slapped and put in my place and discouraged and sad and the things that, that often I experience. No, it's because God is preparing for me, me for something. Remember, God, the vine, the reason why we're here is using his branches, you and me, to accomplish his good will. And I don't always agree with that. 
because I want things to go my way. So, Jesus tells me in this passage, when you're getting pruned, when doors are closing, when you fail at something, when, when you experience disappointment in a relationship, whatever that might be, you don't need to feel sadness. Because if you understand it in the perspective of God's perfect will for your life, you can find great joy because you're part of what God has established for you. My third reason for sadness. Sometimes I'm not happy because I'm living life based upon my hopes and desires, not God's. This is why it's sometimes disappointing to discover that God is pruning you, closing a door, allowing you to fail in some place. It's because I define my success, the things that make me happy, the things that make me want to go out and click my heels and jump for joy and just for a moment feel that, feel that exhilaration that comes from true and full joy. When I define those moments in my own terms by my own hopes and desires and then God says to me, you know, I have another thing in mind. Um, then I get disappointed and I get sad unless I understand that it's really God who is determining what success means. And so pruning is not a bad thing. It's a good thing and actually prepares me to accomplish God's hopes and desires. This is particularly um, important for me to understand and for all of us who are here regularly because we're part of a new church. And we pray all the time that God would lead us in the direction he wants this church to go. And um, I've told many of you, I, I love this church. I love what has happened here because it has shown me so many times that, the, that it isn't happening the way I would have done it. It's not like a business plan. It's not like you know, a political campaign where you do things and I use the skills that God has given to me in my profession to accomplish what he wants me to accomplish. No, this is about how, how God is going to plant a church here. And we have to keep our mind on that. Ministry is an important area where if you're not careful, you can get disappointed if things don't go the way you want. And yet, we need to pray that they will go the way God wants us to get, take it. So, as, as I address these four explanations for my sadness or my depression, I'm asking God to help me trust that he will prune me in a, in a way that I will be precisely what he wants me to be. And I invite you to do the same thing. Why? Because he knows what extra fruit you will soon be bearing, and we don't. I have one other source of sadness that I want to mention. It's, again, maybe the most important of these. It's when I discover that in spite of the fact that I'm a saved person, I know where I'm headed, I know what Jesus has done for me on the cross, that, that, that certainty has been given to me by God. My, my, my true sadness that I face is when I start to live as if I have not yet been forgiven. I wonder if you ever do this same thing. You know you're saved, and yet you're, you think there still is something to be gained, to be earned by living out the sin that you experienced or that you committed sometime early in your life, thinking that it is so bad that you can't be forgiven. And yet, Jesus here very clearly tells us what, how we are to approach that kind of a Christian, one who is living as if he is not saved even though he is. He basically tells us the gospel. 
you look at the third verse in chapter, in chapter 15, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. If you read back in the text and understand where he's been, what he's saying there is, already you are clean. You're living as if you are dirty. You're living as if you're a failure. You're living as if you're not accomplishing the things I want you to accomplish. Well, start with this understanding. You are a clean person. You have been forgiven. It's not because of what you did or said. It's because of what I said. He uses the word, the word I spoke. He's referring to the gospel message as he's announcing to, to the people of his day that he would go to the cross, that he would accomplish the forgiveness of sins. And so if you live that way, if you find yourself regretting the past, um, ask yourself the question of whether, uh, there's nothing wrong with regretting, there's nothing wrong with uh, trying to uh, rectify the situation, to ask forgiveness from a brother or a sister, a spouse, a child, a parent, maybe a father on a day like today. But to live as if you're not forgiven is not, what, is not going to allow you to produce fruit. And it's also not going to allow, when you do produce fruit, that you would live in joy, in great and full joy. So, believe it or not, we've looked at the first question. What's the difference between the vine and the branches? Everybody got it? We're the branches, he's the vine. Don't live as if you're the vine. If you do, you've got your priorities all out of whack. Secondly, what's the difference between a barren and a fruitful branch? Barren means the person that's thrown into the fire. The fruitful branch is the branch that is you and me, not necessarily accomplishing what we think we are to be doing. It's all about what God's plan is, and that sometimes means we get pruned. So thirdly, last point, what can we do to be fruitful? Jesus addresses that in the text. He says a couple of things. I already mentioned the first one. He says, acknowledge that you have been cleaned. Understand that you are a forgiven person. In spite of the, how bad your sin was, Jesus has taken care of you. He said, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's the gospel. The gospel is that we fall short. We are incapable of being who God wants us to be. And so God solved that problem for his children by sending his son to die on the cross. And that's what happened. And because of that, the relationship God originally intended for you, the Adam and Eve kind of relationship, the Garden of Eden kind of place, that's, that's available to us. It's where we are. Understand that and you're halfway there in how you actually live in joy. Jesus says a couple of other things. He says that we are to abide in him. Verses 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now from, it's an obvious point if you're talking about vines and branches and vineyards and even corn plants and soybean plants. What does it mean for us to abide? He says more. And in these texts, I want to say that this text is not as much, again, about fruit bearing as it is about the relationship that Jesus is to have with us, what he wants to have with us. He says it starting in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. 
but I've called you for, in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm explaining to you how you fit into my plan and I'm not treating you as the servant who I ring my bell and call and say, here, please take this from point A to point B. Servant has no idea why that is happening. But a friend is brought into the mission, is brought into the, the will of the, of the master or of the other friend. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. We have everything we need to have in order that when we do God's will, we can have great joy. We don't have to live in, a, in depression or sadness because things aren't going our way. What Jesus is teaching us here is about his relationship with us. And in other places, in other contexts, it's, it's dangerous to call Jesus my friend. Jesus is a judge. Jesus is a savior. Jesus is the perfect lamb. Jesus is a lot of things that go way beyond friendship. But here, Jesus himself uses those words. He describes himself as a friend. And it's in the context of what it takes to be joyful. What he's saying is, do what I've called you to do. Understand these things about how we, how we define success. Know that I care about this because I'm your friend and you will find great joy even when the world tells you to be sad, to be depressed. Abiding means understanding here the pruning process, having the perspective of understanding that this is about God's will, not my will. So, embrace your opportunities. When doors open even a little bit, push, walk through. Don't let a closed door, a failure, a lost relationship, something that doesn't seem to be working out, don't let that stop you from A, doing what God has made possible in your life, and B, and here's the key, being joyful about it, being happy about it. Don't be afraid that you're not qualified. You know, that was Moses' big thing. He says, how can I go be the spokesperson for God? God said, I'll take care of it. I'll enable you. And he'll do that for you, and he'll do that for me. Third thing he tells us, he says, uh, understand you've been saved, abide in me, and then finally he says, ask. Ask. In verses 7 and 8, he, uh, sorry, in verse uh, 15, 11. No, I want to get this right. He says, in, ver in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, I'm not here to tell you what that exactly means. You know, I'd like to have a T-bone steak tonight for my Father's Day dinner. I'm not sure that we're going to do that, so I can't pray for that. I don't think that's what's going to happen, and I don't think that that's what God is telling me. I think it goes back to this idea of how we find great joy. If you want to be pruned and do the work that God has called you to do, pray for that. I think God even allows us as thinking people, not robots, to say to God, God, if it be your will, this is what I would like you to like to do. I'd like to become a teacher. I'd like to become a chemist. I'd like to, and that's why I'm here. I think God allows for prayer like that. And here we're invited to go to him to ask so that we can have that joy. And that's really where we, where we end, is that this is, yes, about fruit. It's about relationship. The gospel is in here. It's about day in, day out life where even as we work hard and try to do what God has called us to do, we don't always feel great about it. But ultimately, in verse 11, Jesus tells us why he wants us to know that these things. He says, these things I have spoken to you, 
that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And I pray that wherever you sit today, whatever you're facing, you may be on a high, you may be on a low, all of it's okay if you go to God and understand his perspective and not yours. And you'll find great joy even in those moments when the world says, you shouldn't be happy about that. It's not what God says though. He desires that you find that joy. Let me pray now and we'll ask him to uh, take this and, and make it possible in each of our lives. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you first of all for challenging us with words of, of fruit bearing. For we know that you have, although you didn't have to, you have determined to work through us. So as we live our lives, I pray that we will be fruit bearers, that we will produce fruit, that people will be touched, that our lives will be changed. Give us, Father, your perspective, though, as we do this, that our definition of success will not take over from yours. Give us comfort and confidence and the joy that comes from knowing that your will is being done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.